0: Good morning, welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join us in Stevens Point and Appleton, as well as all the people who watch us on television and around the world on the internet. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here at Celebration Church this morning. And again, welcome to our family over in Stevens Point and Appleton. You like the suit? (laughs) I bought this a few years ago on one of my trips to Africa. I no sooner bought it than I was too fat to wear it. I such a drag because I couldn't get the stupid thing on. So I've been losing weight. I lost about 15 pounds. And this yeah. People say, how'd you do it? I quit eating. So much anyway. Uh, so this morning I'm seeing. can I get the stupid thing on? I did. I thought, All right. So it's a little over the top, but it's okay. It's me. Anyway. Hallelujah. What am I talking about? We are <clears throat> wrapping up our... Uh, final message in our series this summer we've done a series called ask the pastor and people have been asking questions setting in questions and i've been answering the questions way more questions than there have been answers because we don't have <laughs> that many sundays throughout the summer but uh, if you do have some of these questions let me encourage you ask some of the people in the church especially the ones who've been around for a while a mature christian should be able to answer any of the questions i've been asking Look for a mature one and ask questions and say, you know, what does this mean? And, uh, and they can help answer that question. Anyway, it's been fun. I've been enjoying this quite a bit myself. Uh, we're going to wrap this up with this final question. Someone sent me an email and said, Pastor, why don't you guys baptize infants and children? After all, Jesus said, bring the little children to me. Uh, and uh, what they were referencing to is this scripture from the Gospel of Matthew that says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples rebuked them. Bug off, get these little critters out of here. They're bugging him. And Jesus said, no, 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 let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then he had placed his hands on them and he went on from there. Now, uh, let me throw a disclaimer out here uh, this morning. This is not to attack people who don't think like us when it comes to the issue of baptism. Lots of Catholics and Lutherans in this area who watch me on television and such and such. This is not an assault on your perspective. I'm merely answering the question why we don't. You can explain why you do to your heart's content. I'm just explaining why we don't. And I will say this. There are lots of things, more things that join us together as Christians, then separate us. And this is a time in the world where Christians need to join together. Christianity is under great assault all over the world. Christians are being brutalized, terrorized, murdered, tortured uh, throughout the Middle East, uh, North Africa. It's a terrible time. Even in America, there's been an assault on Christianity in our culture for many, many years. It really kind of ticks me off. Because they like to attack us, but anybody else, they'll make all kinds of accommodations for. I'm stunned. Often I read in the papers and stuff of how school systems and organizations are trying to accommodate, for example, Muslim children who want to pray five times a day. They want to give them the mats in a room and everything else. And I think, good grief, if a Christian asked for five minutes to pray, they'd have a fit and throw us in jail. So that... The inconsistency and hypocrisy is stunning, but make no mistake, Christianity is under assault in the world today, even in our beloved United States of America. We need to join together and not get uh, obsessed with the little things that separate us. Personally, I would welcome the day when evangelicals and Catholics consider on and argue their little heads off over the differences on things like baptism. That would mean the world was getting back to a normal place, okay? But we don't really have the time or the energy for such things at this point. So that's my disclaimer, okay? I'm, we're not attacking anybody. I'm just answering the question. I don't think I have ever assaulted anyone over their views on baptism. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Christians have been under attack in, in our whole culture and stuff. Uh, this 9-11... This year 9-11 falls on, the anniversary of 9-11 falls on a Sunday next month, the 11th of September. Uh, That Sunday we have a special guest, some of our guys don't even know this, I've been talking to this guy and finally got an okay from him, Uh, a young man uh, who uh, is a convert from uh, Islam to Christianity. He has a dramatic story and he's a great speaker, loves God with all of his heart and he's going to be sharing on Sunday Sunday. The 11th next month. You don't want to miss this. And then Sunday night, we're having a special uh, meeting. This is after the Packer games, and everything should be done. About 6 o'clock at night, I believe, is when we're doing it. uh, Where he's just going to gather and just explain Islam to people. Do you have questions? We'll uh, simulcast to our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point. If you'd like to come and hear this, It's a great explanation as he goes through the Quran and all the things to explain why they do what they do, why they think the way they think, why the assault, Uh, and uh, really, in our time, you want to know what's going on. You want to understand. So that's going to be next month on the 11th, anniversary of 9-11, special Sunday morning service with our guest, and and then that evening, and for what it matters, he's uh, 32, tall, handsome, and single. So You never know, right? He needs a good Green Bay girl or Wisconsin girl, whatever. All right. So um, what was I talking about? Oh, why don't we baptize babies? Okay. Here's a simple answer because they don't do it in the Bible. That's really the basic simple answer. Uh, And this is not a small deal. Whenever someone tells you the Bible says something, or we believe because this scripture says, that's why we do such and such. I think they need to be able to back it up with the examples. I think not only does the Bible give us the theology and the theory, if you will, of the way we should act and pray and believe, but it also shows us the examples of it. If we are lacking the examples of what we're talking about, then I think what they're talking about is on very weak footing. Uh, All right. For example, if I came up with some absurd thing that said, you know, uh, this scripture and that scripture says that when you pray, you should stand on one leg pointing to the east and pray, Uh, you can say, okay, fine, but does anyone in the Bible ever stand on one leg pointing to the east and pray? The answer is, of course, they do not. Therefore, I would blow you off, all right? Uh, People come up with all kinds of things uh, that are really extra biblical, ways to pray, ways of reading the Bible, ways of faith and stuff like that. Uh, that you just don't see in the scriptures, and there's little to no examples of it. That's why we don't do it. Our foundation is the scripture. You say, well, then why do some of the more established mainline denominations do it? Uh, Because they uh, believe a lot in tradition as well as the Bible. In fact, many of them believe it's on the same footing as the Bible, by their own admission. I heard one speaker once from one of these groups saying, uh, we look at Our faith as a railway, and the two rails are the scriptures and tradition, and that's what moves us forward. Nice story, but it is very weak. Jesus was very uh, strong to his generation in attacking their traditions. Your traditions can get you all jacked up, and they certainly did to the Jewish faith. That's why Jesus was so. Uh, against the Pharisees because they were so caught up in their traditions and many of the traditions of Christianity, many of them are with little to no biblical foundation and can get people, quite frankly, off track. That's why evangelical churches like ourselves uh, try to stay with just the example of the Bible. For example, the very scripture that was quoted to me when they asked, how come you don't baptize babies? Because Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Well, let's look at that. It says, then the people brought little Jesus, or little children, to Jesus. Little Jesus. What was that movie, uh, Talladega Nights? (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for that little baby Jesus in swaddling clothes. Anyway, you got to see the movie. It's very sick, but funny. Uh, The little children came to Jesus, not to little Jesus, and uh, for him to place his hands on them. And the disciples said, no, 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 we don't need his kids bugging him. And they said, no, no, bring them. And then he laid his hands on them, it says. It doesn't say he baptized them. To quote this verse, is, how come you don't baptize babies is a little strange, all right? That's not what they did. Now, if Jesus was baptizing babies and let the children come to me and then he baptized the babies, then, now, okay, why don't, we? Well, then we should because we have an example of that. Um the reality is there is no record anywhere ever in the New Testament. And we say New Testament because they didn't baptize people in the Old Testament. This was a New Testament thing. There is never a record of a baby or even a child being baptized. It never happened. It didn't happen until many years later. I'll give you my mini version of why. But first, let's lay out what is shown in the scriptures. The first time any baptism starts happening is when John the Baptist shows up. Very strange, odd man, John. He lives out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness. He's a hairy creature wearing camel skins and stuff, and he ate bugs. So the Bible says he ate locusts. A locust is a big, fat bug. That was his dinner and breakfast and lunch. How do you just live on bugs? I don't know, but that's what he did. And the Bible doesn't give us any detail about how he did what he did. All we know is this guy comes along, and he wasn't a warm and fuzzy kind of guy. He's yelling at everybody. You know, he was the first turn-or-burn preacher, man. And they came by the multitudes to hear him. Out in the wilderness, we got to go hear a bug-eating guy talking about sin. Really? And everybody went, and it had a major impact on the nation as it was supposed to do because he was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And he baptized them. These were adult men and women who were turning away from their sins. They were repenting. The word repent means to stop doing one thing and do another thing. Uh, we use this in the context that when the Bible says that we should repent, we're talking about stop doing what's wrong and now we choose to do what's right. This is what John the Baptist does. He goes, tells everybody, you guys need to repent. Stop doing the stuff that you know is wrong. And they would repent and they would come and they would be baptized by him in the Jordan River. He uh, also baptized Jesus, who was now 30 years of age. Every single example in the scripture of baptism was always with an adult who made a decision to now turn their life towards God. That is the foundation. There is nothing other than that in the scriptures. Uh, And then Jesus himself told his disciples uh, after his resurrection, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Difficult for an infant to believe. They don't know anything. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not will be condemned. And it's exactly what they did. The first sermon that we read that Peter preached after Jesus had been resurrected, he's talking to these people, like you know, thousands of people, and he says, you need to repent, turn away from the wrong, do the right, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what is the baptism? Why is this even, why do we even do this? Well, Paul gives us a little bit more kind of behind-the-veil look at what happens during baptism. He writes to the Roman church. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Everyone say death. death. There's a cheery word. Death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That is the symbolism of being buried into the water. That old nature is now dead and buried and now you are resurrected as Christ came resurrected out of the tomb to live a new life. Basically, baptism is a celebration of death. It is. Not your physical death, but the death to sin. The old nature. The person that you used to be that you are not anymore. This is the quintessential Christian experience. Regardless of what anybody thinks about anything in their versions of practicing out their faith, the quintessential Christian experience is, I come to God, I receive forgiveness, I now walk in newness of life. That's what happens when you come to Christ. Paul writes about this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. It is dead, buried. It's out of here. The new is here. The New Testament is very clear that there is a definite separation between who we used to be without Christ in our lives and who we are now with Christ in our lives. All right? Uh, And in fact, I truly believe your ability to successfully live out the Christian life is in direct proportion to how much you comprehend this. If you don't comprehend this, if you have a hard time comprehending it, by and large, you will struggle in your faith. When you start to understand the fact that your old self is dead, that it's not you anymore, you tend to walk with much greater freedom. The weight is off. You're not constantly trying to reconcile and deal with what happened in the past. You're now walking in newness of life. People who live as victorious Christians are absolutely bought into the concept that they are not who they were. If you don't have an overwhelming sense that you're not who you were, I would challenge your understanding of your faith. We become different. Jesus called it being born again. Now, for some people, it's dramatic. Some people, some of you, especially you guys in point, we're really bad people. I'm just teasing. But I mean, you know, some of us did bad things. There's, there's stuff you don't want to hear. If you knew the guy sitting next to you, what they used to do, you'd sit further away from him. I'm telling you right now. We have all kinds of people here. Uh, some, not so bad at all. They, you know, their version of being naughty was, you know, they you know, didn't pick up their underwear when they were told. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. But we all are sinners, whether great or small. At some point, we turn away from that and we turn to God, we ask him into our life for forgiveness and we walk in new life. The old is dead. This is the New Testament. If you read the New Testament and you need to read the New Testament, you need to read the Bible. I probably, Y'all need to come to church. We're now getting back in the fall. Sunday mornings, Wednesday night. You come to church every Sunday and Wednesday night. I promise you, a year from today, your life will be dramatically different than it is right now. You will be healthier, you will be happier, and I can virtually guarantee you the people one year from to now who are struggling the most in their lives are the people who did not come to church every Sunday or come to church on Wednesday night. There is no substitution for just getting in the presence of God and hearing the word of God. And you need to read it yourself. It's impossible to read the New Testament and not come away with this, they're constantly talking about this, this idea that the old pers- person that was there is the old self that is dead and now there is a new person person, when you start to understand it, I'm telling you, it changes you. It helps you. It's easier to walk in your life. It's easier to forgive people, just for forgiveness. For example, let me ask you a question. Doc, my dentist, front row, great dentist. Check him out. Anyway, he's got some great drugs too, praise the Lord. So anyway, (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for the drugs. Hallelujah. So, uh, uh, so, so Doc, doc if, if, if somebody does something mean to Joe, we can forgive that guy, right? It's easy to forgive him. You know why it's easy? Because it didn't do it to you. Right? Uh, look, anybody, we hear somebody did something terrible to somebody in Stevens Point or one of our campuses in Appleton, and, and all of a sudden, I'll say, but we need to forgive that person. Everybody here will go, yeah, we do. Let's just forgive him. Why? You don't care. Didn't happen to you right? Well, here's the thing. When you start to understand that that old person, that person that had been abused, had been neglected, had been lied to, cheated on, all the stories you all have, and we've got some dramatic, very painful ones. When you start to realize that that person is dead, it's easier to forgive because, in a sense, didn't happen to me. It happened to that guy, and he's dead. Praise the Lord. We had a wonderful ceremony. We buried him, in the water. That's what baptism is. You know, uh, several weeks ago, I was preaching along these same lines, and I was trying to explain, you know, if you get caught up in your past, and I, and I went through a list of all the horrible things that happened to me when I was young. It was a painful exercise, but here's the thing. I had to really work at it. I forgot all that stuff. It was rather depressing, I got to tell you. I started feeling like some of you, you know, and uh, you know, because you constantly live your past. You're always rehearsing it, always rehearsing it, living it, living it. You walk like this your whole life. Well, And then you stumble and fall. We pick you up and you, and you keep stumbling because you walk like this. You're always, you're always try, trying to fix something back there. Stop. That, that guy's dead. When you start to understand, that guy's dead. Man, I'm doing my list and I'm going, oh, this is depressing. But it was, it's like, it's bizarre. That stuff doesn't affect me because thats that, that, that guy's dead. I was there. I buried him. That's what we did. <laughs> Buried him in the water. Come up, newness of life. That thing doesn't have much effect on me anymore. Now, every once in a while, that old nature tries to pop up, and then you're know, like a whack a mole, you got to hit him again. <laughs> you know, like from the grave. Get back, you demon. But he's dead. That stuff. Now, now, listen. It is stunning. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. For those of you who are still in pain over your past, this message sounds really. Insensitive. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm trying to help you. The reality is, if that concept enters your mind, that you are not that person that had been robbed, cheated, abused, ripped off, lied, you're not that person who lied, cheated, stole, and got drunk and broke the law and got drunk, that you're not that person who'd been married 47 different times, you know, you should have only done 46, but you went for the extra one, you know. You just... You start to realize, I'm not that person anymore, literally. You're literally not that person anymore. Well, no, I am, but I still got it. No, you're not. That's what you're not getting. That's why the Bible throughout the New Testament, if you read it over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I'm running out of air. <laughs> it's constantly talking about new You're new, that other thing is dead. When you start to understand that is dead, that is gone, all of a sudden you are free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. And I don't live with all those weights anymore. (laughs) You see, Pastor, what do we do with, you know, when we mess up after we become Christians and after we've been baptized? You just, you repent again. That's what we do every Sunday. We pray, we do communion together, we remember the cross and you throw that stuff back on the cross. Throw it back to the dead guy. Because we are not talking about Jesus, I'm talking about us. This is what Paul said. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. You see, the old nature is crucified with Christ on the cross. That old icky you is still up there on that cross. When you come and you ask God to forgive you, you've made failures, you've fallen short, you take it, and you throw back on the dead guy. He's gone. He's not here anymore. We don't carry that stuff anymore the people who continue to insist on carrying it are the ones who struggle the most. And I have to say, sadly, a lot of Christian therapies today are rooted in dealing with the past. It's all about the past, helping you reconcile your past, trying to help you heal with your past, trying to understand your past. We have programs, most of the programs we have in the church outside of our normal programs are really programs helping you to deal with your past. And, and, and let me make this clear, I don't... Whatever works for you. If you need to go through some of our programs, and even we have them, but well, we're trying to help you through your addictions or your problems or how to function in life and trying to go back and relive your past. and try. If, if that's what we have to do, we'll do whatever we have to do. If you need to go to a counselor and go through sessions and try and re, you know, reconcile your past, then do whatever you have to do. But I'm trying to tell you, if you really get this, this will set you free. I don't try to reconcile my past because my past is dead. That nasty, wicked, and I was a wicked little creature, is dead. I'm glad he's dead. He wasn't very nice. You know, I don't, that's, I don't carry that stuff anymore. It's, the weight has been lifted off of me. We walk in newness of life. All the different therapies. Mean, <laughs> had you ever heard of that therapy that I just described in the early service? You had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so, so you know, I'm not making this stuff up, because Joe and I are like 182 years old. Uh, but back in uh, it was mid '80s or so, there was a big thing of trying to heal from your past. I went in churches, and they would all sit in like a prayer group and a circle and stuff like that, and uh, someone would lead them through all the hurts of their past. They started with the birth. And had people visualize going down the birth canal. I'm not making this up. And having them recognize how painful that was, really, for you. It had to have been worse for your mom. But they're coming through, and then the shock of coming into the light. And I mean, I am listening to this, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking these people are crazy. But you look around the room, and men and women are bawling, bawling. Did you ever see this, Randy? Oh, you're part of it. Yeah, some of you geezers. I'm telling you. Think I make this stuff up? I'm not making it up. There's been all kinds of stuff, and they would cry and moan and groan just because of the pain of being born. And then they go through everything else. Birth is the least of it. Then there's zits. You know. Right, potty training, I mean, what was that about, you know? I mean, it's all these pains. So you're making fun, well, to a degree. I'm just saying, look, at some point, you just let that stuff go. Let it be buried, bury it. It's dead and gone. That person who experienced all that stuff, I'm telling you, is not standing before you anymore. That's not me. Yeah, it was. I remember when you were in high school. No, he's dead. I'm a new person. That's what the Bible teaches us. Again, if you need those therapies as much as I've just castigated them, and the and the the, we have several of them in the church. One guy emailed me right after this. You guys, you got pros just like that in the church. I know, I know. I admitted that. Why? Because some people they can't get this. I don't know why. And if they need to have that reconciling, then fine. I mean, whatever it takes to help you heal. But my advice is don't try and heal your past. Kill it. (laughs) To me, this whole thing is just incomprehensible. Just (laughs) listing out the parts of my past in my last sermon was a strange and bizarre exercise for me. It was just, it was uncomfortable and strange. It's not me. Why doesn't your past bother you, Pastor? Because I truly, sincerely, and passionately believe what the Bible says about my past. It's dead. I'm dead, hallelujah. The old is past, the new has come. (laughs) Did you hear that? What was that? You guys, you may not have heard that at our campuses. You know, it's either aliens have landed. Or there's a weird phone happening. I don't know what that was. That was very odd. Okay. (laughs) It's still happening. Answer your phone. Whoever's got it, just shut it off. It's very simple. There's a button. Or or give it to me. I'll answer it for you. I will, I promise. Hand it to me. I'll, I'll answer them and I'll put them right on TV with me right now. Why they aren't in charge. what are you doing calling anyway why people still hold on to their past is strange to me i know a lot of people do it but for the life of me i cannot relate and people often say pastor you just don't understand and i'm telling you i don't i'm not in a mean nasty way. i just don't i don't live that way i read the scriptures i meditate on the scriptures it tells me i'm a new person That is dead. My old life is crucified with Christ. Literally, I have been buried in baptism with Christ, and I walk in new life. So, back to the original question. Infants and children are not in a place even to begin to comprehend that. I can't get most of you adults to comprehend it. The children don't get this. So, why did churches start baptizing infants? Well, as best as I can tell, you have to understand, Christianity, initially, all people who converted to Christianity were Jewish people. They didn't even think you could be a Christian if you weren't a Jew first. Uh, Anyway, that got, got, got straightened out. But Jews have had, you know, centuries of understanding faith and walking with God and stuff. Christians, after the Jews, by 200 or so years after Christianity, they pretty much had nothing to do with Christianity anymore. It was just all pagans, people who had no foundation. They didn't know anything. They had no history they were just coming to faith. They're learning about faith. One of the things that we teach people is that everybody is a sinner. We're all sinners because of the sin of Adam got passed on to all of us. We call it original sin. Every child born into the world is born into sin. Well, they heard that. They started understanding it. This is a time in life, 2,000 years ago. Infant mortalities were extremely high. Your chance of having a baby, even having that baby come to full term and survive birth itself and much into later years, you know, it was, it was a risky thing. Thank God we don't live in those days anymore. But they would be traumatized. What happened to that kid? Well, there was the original sin. Now the kid has died in sin. Oh, we need our baptizing babies so that we'll cover their original sin. It was the original concept. And still even to this day, most mainline churches will tell you that's what they're doing. What they fail to recognize is what Paul taught. And he taught this, that your children are covered by your faith. Their sin is covered because of your faith. Even if only one of you is a Christian and your spouse is a heathen, your children are still okay. Paul writes about this, he says, the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the believing wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Do we have to fear our children dying if they're not baptized? You do not, why? They are holy before God. How can that be? Because of your faith in our holy God. That's what the scripture teaches. That's why, to answer the question, we don't baptize children. There was never a need to baptize children. Uh, They never did it uh, until much later on in Christianity. And now for thousands of years, it's been that way. But that's why we don't do that. Well, what do you do with children? We do what was done with Jesus. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, talking about right after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Consecrated, dedicated. We use the word dedication. That's why we have the children come and we dedicate them to God. We lay hands on them and pray for them just like who did? Jesus did. And we commit them to God. That's what we do. We pray a special prayer on your children, ask God's blessing and protection over them. That's what we do. We do not, however, baptize them. So my question to you, number one, have you put your faith in Christ and let a new life come into you so that your old past is dead and gone? If you have, have you then been baptized? You should. If you haven't as an adult in faith, since you've come to faith, been baptized, you really should. Say, well, I don't want to. Okay. You know, I'm not going to tackle you. You know, we're not, we're not, we've, you've never heard us ostracize anyone who hasn't done I'm just saying this is what they did in the scriptures. They were all adult men and women who came to faith and then baptized and went through that ceremony of celebrating the death of the old and now the newness of life. We're having a campus-wide baptismal service uh, September 7th. It's the first Wednesday night uh, of September. Uh, talk to your campus pastor if you haven't been baptized yet. As an adult, sign up and do it. You say, well, what's an adult? Biblically speaking, an adult is like 12, 13 on up. They were always considered adults. That's why in Jewish culture, they have the bar mitzvah. That's a kid who's 13 or whatever who becomes a man. In that culture, really, since the beginning of time, everyone considered a 13-year-old a man, a 13-year-old girl a woman, it's just the reality. The whole idea of adolescence never even came up until the 50s in Western culture. And the result has been a disaster because what we've done is give these people a reason and ex- excuse why they shouldn't grow up and get serious with their lives. Now, when I was born back in the 1800s, you know, <laughs> a, a teenager was, you know, 13 to 18. By the time you got 18, man, you're thinking about getting married, you get serious. You know. But now they've extended it. Uh, I was reading in Psychology Today. We now believe adolescence ends at 32. I'm not kidding. That's what the psychology world believes. That's what most of the people out there believe. That's why for two decades, from the time they turn 12 until the time they turn 32, most of them are not taking life seriously. Oh, they're getting their educated, They're doing this, but it's still just a big party. Who cares? It's not until they start reaching 30, they even start thinking, most of them, about getting married and getting it serious with life. That's the culture in which we live. I think it's destructive. It's not a biblical culture. You become a young man or a young woman, you want to follow Jesus, we encourage you to be baptized. If you haven't, talk to your campus pastor. Get ready uh, for that. Anyway, uh, last scripture. We'll end with this. Colossians. Paul writes at the Colossian church. He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you died. Again, this is said over and over. I'm not making this up. This was common Christian understanding in the first century church. You died. You are dead. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That old nature is now gone. And now we walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, O Lord, to understand that our sinful nature, the things that we did, the bad that was done to us, the bad that we'd done to others. Lord, we've turned from that. That person that is even responsible for that is dead. That's why we don't fear judgment now because we've been born again. We don't answer for that stuff anymore because it's been washed in the blood of the lamb. Thank God. This is what fills us with the joy. It's why we sing. It's why we gather. It's why we celebrate life because we walk in this new life. Lord, if there's anybody listening to me right now in Stephen Spoyne and Appleton here in Green Bay watching us on television or on the internet, if they've never truly surrendered their lives to Christ, may they have faith to do that, to repent, to turn from the wrong and turn to the right, to get plugged into church and to follow you in baptism to celebrate the burying of the old and now living in the new. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said